Part of the problem is it's a very slow crisis to emerge. It, we almost don't feel it because it's creeping up on us year by year. And why that's a problem is not only is it slow to emerge, it's slow to get out of. The Happy Healthy Human podcast will help you build your happy, healthy life. Your host, Paul Leviton, is a board-licensed health and wellness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer, and behavior change specialist with over 10 years of experience helping people create positive life change. Each week, he discusses topics that will help you understand yourself, why you do the things you do, and how to take steps to create the life of your dreams. He talks with experts from therapists to addictions counselors, coaches, trainers, CEOs, financial planners, and more. If you've ever wondered how can you become the best, happiest, healthiest version of yourself, you've come to the right place. Stephen J. Shaw graduated summa cum laude from the Institut Supérieur de Gestion in Paris with his MBA and is currently a degree candidate at Harvard University's Extension School with a focus on quantitative methods and computer science. He co-founded Autometrics in the year 2000 to provide data services to the world's largest automakers and to provide predictive sales dynamics data and predictive solutions using AI and advanced statistical analytics. So why am I having a data scientist and mathematician on the Happy Healthy Human podcast? Well, because Stephen has taken his vast knowledge of statistics and focused it on what he believes to be the biggest problem facing the human race, the birth gap. This is a conversation that is a bit different than what we usually discuss on the show, but after being introduced to Stephen and his work, not only was I thoroughly interested and wanted to learn more myself, but I thought it was a conversation worth sharing with you. I hope you're both intrigued and enlightened by this talk, and maybe you decide to go learn more about what Stephen is trying to educate the world about and check out his work on the birth gap. All right, Stephen, explain to me the birth gap. Birth gap represents the difference between the number of older people that society needs to support, people retired basically, and the younger generations, the working generations that are needed to support those older people. Today, we have a gap in almost every industrialized nation, and that's something expanding around the world. So it's the widening gap between older people and younger people. Okay. And, you know, based on your documentary is birth gap, a childless world. And something that you talk about is the fact that this is a crisis that we're facing. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could expand on that. What is exactly the problem that we're facing and what does it mean for me or the listeners? Yeah. And part of the problem is it's a very slow crisis to emerge it, we almost don't feel it because it's creeping up on us year by year. Um, the, the consequences are, are, are vast ultimately, but just to explain, when the birth rate falls to a certain point, a point that we call replacement level, the point where the average person has two surviving children, uh, when you reach that point, really isn't much that happens for the first 20, 30 years. Sure, the number of uh, midwives and kindergarten spaces kind of shrinks. 
elementary schools, and eventually it gets through to, to the workforce. That's the first generation. When it really starts to bite is the second generation. When you have another iteration, you have fewer parents already having fewer children again. You start to get this acceleration of the lack of ultimately future workers compared to the number of older people who, by definition, um, are living out their lives. So part of the problem I think we're facing is that this is a really slow emerging problem. And why that's a problem is not only is it slow to emerge, it's slow to get out of. If we were to decide at some point, and I will get to the the heart of why it is going to be a fundamental problem for, for society, but if we were for a moment, just to think about if we were to decide as a society that we wanted to resolve this problem, if that if that's even possible, um, it would take again many decades to work ourselves out because people would need to have more children to balance this ratio. But that takes several decades for those children to grow up and start working for the whole thing to rebalance itself. So one of the the, the, the unfortunate things for me is, is almost we can't see this problem um, you know, coming on certain nations like Japan, where I actually happen to live in Japan, I, I moved there five years ago to research this this crisis, and uh, you know it's already at that point where we're about five decades in, and we're only really starting to see the the, the problems. So to answer your question more directly, what are the problems? Um, I would break them down into both social and economic. Um, Let's take economic first. Uh, what you know for many of us, what what we expect in our uh, retirement years is good uh, healthcare, welfare services, social services to help look after us. All of those services and state pensions are paid for by current workers. You know, I think we have an idea that whilst we're working, we're kind of saving up or we're helping the government save for us when we get old, but it doesn't work that way. We're actually paying for the people who are already retired during those working years. So if you think of a situation where the number of older people are staying pretty much the same, and actually we're living longer, so it's they're increasing, in, in fact, but the number of workers is shrinking, we've got this economic situation where things aren't just going to balance the way we, we perhaps expect. And that ultimately means I think people are going to be poorer than they expect uh, when they get to a time of retirement. Um, and, and it goes further than that, because if we have shrinking populations, which ultimately this comes down to, there's other consequences, like there'll be too much housing. Uh, the value of property will not be able to be maintained the way we used in the past. And things like our national debt, which you, some people argue is sustainable, others not. But if you have a shrinking workforce uh, to pay off, the to pay the interest in that debt, those are things that we're just not thinking about at all, and we need to. So that's the economic side. The social side is really where I, I, I've come to realize we've got a major crisis uh, unfolding, and in some part of the world, it, it, it's harrowing. Um, in certain societies like Japan, where, where, where I live, but also parts of Europe uh, and many places in reality, where people have fewer children, fewer extended family networks, once they get older, there's no one to look after them. We're seeing huge increases in loneliness, 
huge increases in, in mental challenges of older people. And part of the, the birth gap documentary really goes to find, you know, those people who are suffering. Um, and I, I don't want to give too much away, but I just, just want to warn it. We, we don't hold back. And, you know, there are people and their situations uh, later in life that um, unfortunately are, are, are grim. So I think we're losing the, you know, the community that we once had that would support older people. Uh, It may be a long answer, but I want to also touch on one last thing in in this. There's another aspect to this that that, that opened up to me. And um, what I wanted to find out ultimately when I started the project, I was determined to find out why people are having fewer children. Um, The research from demographers, academics, really pointed to local factors, Uh, local factors Things like in Europe, it was high unemployment of younger people. In Spain and Italy, in Japan, it was work-life balance. Um, there was no co- consistent common theme, but yet the trend was the same around the world. Um, what I discovered from data was actually there is a common thread, and uh, it's not that actually we're having fewer children, it's that fewer people are having children. And once you delve into that childlessness, you actually find that there are large communities. In fact, it's the vast majority of childless people who are childless, not by choice, unplanned childlessness, as I'm calling it. So these are people who expected to have children, who through today's society are being driven to pursue education, which is great, careers, which is great, but are then getting to a point, you know, in the 30s. Um, where they're perhaps ready to have a family, but um, they don't have a partner or their circumstances are such that, you know, it's just never quite the right time. And what I think we're also underestimating, what I came to learn is that the fertility challenges creep up very quickly. Um, I, I interviewed five fertility doctors and, you know, they were consistent that really what we hear in the media about all these wonders from IVF and egg freezing, you know, those are, um, you know, best case scenarios. So I think we're also then seeing another part of society that's suffering from loneliness and people who describe themselves as childless, um, not by choice. You know, the term they're using um, is grief, that they're going through this grief of not having had children. And that grief can last for, for, for decades so I, I think the society, the society we're seeing today is one that's not preparing itself for this world we're entering into, that is becoming a lonelier society, one that's not well prepared to um, ultimately, you know, gear up for the new way that we're going to have to support older people. And has also left a, a large number of people, I, I, I believe it's around one third of people in this category of childless is not by choice. That's super amazing. And there's a lot of different parts that I want to uh, follow uh, down that, that road a little bit. But before I, I, I start to dig into the different pieces of what you just spoke about, I'd love to at this point just kind of understand for myself and for listeners, how did you get here? Like, how did you end up with deciding that this is your thing where you would literally move to Japan to study this more, create a documentary, write a book. Like what, what, what was the impetus behind all of this? Um, 
fear. Um, I um, I'm a data analyst. You know, my my I. I um, pursue well. My, I have a company which basically does forecasting. We do predictive modeling about the future of mainly in the automotive industry. But um, we ultimately crunch numbers and we predict things about the future. And the one thing that no one in that sphere is thinking about is changes in demographics and populations. And um, back in early 2016, I happened to. Uh, read a news article about falling populations in Germany that I just frankly dismissed as um, not credible. It was basically saying that the population of Germany will fall by around 20%, I think, in the next 30 years. And I dismissed it. But a few weeks later, I was thinking, huh, the only way that could happen is if the birth rate's been so low in Germany for many decades, and yet we haven't really noticed because people are perhaps living longer, that's kind of masking the true story of what's happening. And I, I went to some data sources and looked up and found that's exactly what's been happening. And then I saw the same thing was happening in Italy and Spain and Austria and Switzerland, Japan, South Korea. And I thought, my gosh, why is no one really thinking about this? And what's the common reason? And, and as a dad myself of three kids, I was thinking, wait a minute, you know, I've been trying to prepare my kids for their future. And they've been preparing them for the future that I thought was going to happen, which would be pretty similar to the life I've led. And I realized that actually the future is really going to transform in a way that no one's thinking about. Um, my first idea was to write a book. I thought, well, okay, you know, I, I think I can, you know, describe this in terms of the, the the core problem. And I wanted to research it. I was driven to find out why it's happening. Um, and my second son said, look, dad, no one reads books anymore our age. We only watch documentaries. And I thought, well, that's never going to happen because um, I had no ambition or aspiration to, to be a filmmaker. But as luck had it, a friend of a friend said, you know what? I know someone who actually might be interested in collaborating with you. And we decided, you know what? Let, let's go to Europe for two weeks. Let's just interview people. And I thought, well, if nothing else, it's going to be useful to have these interviews on film for, for the book I'm going to write. And uh, once we got started, I, I, I kind of didn't stop. We spent four years filming, uh, not permanently, not constantly, but you know, a, a few weeks every few months. And I ended up going to 24 countries, uh, you know, including Africa. You know, I, I, I had a good friend who, uh, you know, I, I sat down with after maybe three years of filmmaking and said, "Yeah, well, it's done now." And uh, she said, well, what about Africa? And I said, well, no, I didn't go there. And she said, well, you have to, because no one's going to believe the story about the world's population if you don't also find out what's happening in Africa. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it surprised me, frankly, and a lot of people around me that I became so driven by this, but I just felt someone needs to tell this story. And for whatever reason, it, it happened to be me. I really appreciate that. I mean, that's peaks volumes about you as a person and just, you know, the, the type of dedication that that takes to see a problem, a world problem and say like, Hey, if, if no one is going to fix this, then, you know, I'm going to be that guy. So that, that's, that's pretty cool, honestly. And, you know, as you're speaking about, you know, first discovering this in, in Germany first, and then looking at other countries, you're saying that the kind of aging birth rates mask this, uh, the, the, the aging population mask this problem. Is that why? Because that was kind of my inclination. I was under the assumption, like, didn't population of Earth just 
crack 8 billion for the first time? Like, are, aren't things trending up? Aren't there more people? Isn't overpopulation something that people people talk about? So, you know, how how is that? Like, how do, how do those two things correlate? You know, this is, you know, as in those early days, as I was starting to, you know, reflect on all this, um, you know, one as I mentioned, one of the first, or one of the the first things I, I realized is how many decades it takes before we even really notice this. You know, one of the next things was realizing, wait a minute, the idea that we're growing as a planet is really it's not a myth, but it's far from the full story. Um, so there's so many nuances here that I realized that this you know, we're we're almost being misled by. You know, even the, the the data itself that we commonly read, like the world's population hitting a billion. So, so why is the world's population growing? Um, it is growing, but it's not because of births. The total number of children being born per year uh, hit what is referred to as peak child about twenty years ago. The number of children hasn't increased at all for about twenty years. So, if that's the case, why are we still growing? Well. The reality is that through um, huge successes in you know, medication, sanitation, uh, child survival rates, particularly in places like South Asia and Africa, uh, a lot more people are surviving through the adulthood and having their own children. So if you, I tried to describe this recently to someone, imagine you had a little island and in this island, Everyone lived to 100 years. Let, let's just pick a round number, a very big number, 100 years. And there's a few people born every year, but it's a small island. The population's you know, basically steady. And then through some magic discovery, someone finds the answers so that this, on this island, everyone lived to 200 years. So people live longer, a lot longer. Of course, it's hypothetical. But what would happen in that situation? The population, in simple terms, would double just because people are surviving longer, people are living longer. The longer we live, the greater the population. And once I realized that, oh, so actually population growth can be because people are living longer, surviving longer, not because of births. It was another reason for me to think, I, I, I have to find a way to explain this. And I will call out, um, I feature in the documentary, a professor who sadly is deceased now, Professor Hans Rosling, and he is magical explaining uh, much better than I can, all of these uh, kind of, not complexities, but these quirks of populations. And uh, I was delighted to get permission to be able to include a lot of his footage in the documentary. So if um, if my words aren't making sense, uh, I'd be delighted for anybody to watch the documentary and hear from Hans Rosling himself, just how it is through this aging process um, to look at where we're going in future obviously the aging will reach a limit we can't age forever um and you know we know already that the world's population is going to peak in about 25 30 years somewhere around 10 billion people you know we already know that it's not going to be a surprise we hit 9 billion 10 billion we will simply because people are get, getting older meanwhile birth rates are are, are, are going to be falling and um I, I, I think a, a really important for me point for me though in this overall, just to kind of conclude this point, is that we are transfixed by the total headcount, as I call it, of the world. But actually, what we need to be looking at is things at a much more local level, a more granular level, because you got Japan, for example, you got places already, even within the U.S., you've got 
certain regions where populations or, or, or birth rates are, are falling faster than others. And, you know, this is really a local problem. It's down to local communities and how they, you know, develop, how they survive, how they reinvent themselves through these situations. So the total world headcount is a little bit of a distraction compared to what I believe that the real problem is, which is much more local. Yeah, I, I can see how that can be misleading, that, you know, total population and, and why that can be problematic. I think it's it's interesting to me. This is just something that I, I thought about as you're talking as, you know, before you were saying, you know, your, your background and, and data analysis and there's a you know a, a book called Range where the author talks about the fact that people who become successful in a lot of areas sometimes aren't the people who have only focused on that one area for their entire life, but rather people who have a breadth of knowledge that they can then take into other areas. And the the fact that you came from that world of data analysis and can look at these numbers that frankly most people probably don't understand you know, allows you to see things differently than an anthropologist would see them because you can see these trends, which to me speaks to the actual, like the, 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 what we're seeing here, which is like, it's seeing, you know, you are seeing a problem possibly before others see it. And, you know, it's kind of, as you said, this is something that is going to take decades to fix. And maybe if we get out ahead of it enough, this is something that can be changed. So I just think that that's, that's interesting, but as you're talking about the growing population, 8 billion, 9 billion, 10 billion, I'm assuming that a big part of the reason that we are able to do that is because of technology, right? Medicine is getting better. Feeding people is getting better. And then that's a big part of why, why we're, we're living longer. So on the other side of that, is this a technological problem? And will technology fix this? Meaning we hear a lot about autonomous cars, the the robots are taking over at McDonald's. So is aging out of the workforce really problematic if the robots are going to come and save us in a few years? Well, I, I, I think this is the exact conversation, you know, we need to be having. Um, I think if we just sit back and just assume that robots are going to be there when we need them, you know, I think we're, we risk being disappointed, frankly. Um, I think Autonomy has a very big role. I think technology has a big role, um, but I don't think that it's not a panacea. That that's not going to be the complete solution. But but this is to the point. You know, so understanding what is going to transpire the decades ahead, and this this crisis is going to last for the rest of the century at least because of the the length of time it takes to to, to work through. Um, you know, we need to be starting to think now about what technology, what technology can do, um, but but also I think we also need to be thinking about you know how we need to re-engineer society and communities, and that's an area you know you talk about the kind of the breadth of kind of skills needed here, and I I, I maybe bring data analysis and somehow now the ability to to, to be a filmmaker, um, having researched this. But we need to bring in a lot more skills now. We need people who have got a deep understanding of, you know, urban planning, of architecture, of elderly care, of education, of economics, of demographics, of government, etc. All these groups need to come together. And actually, that's really not happening. You know, we, we, each of those are, tend to be silos. 
uh, you know, both in academia and more generally people thinking about their own sphere. But this crisis will go across every element of society. So to answer your question, yes, technology can help. I don't think that we can afford to relax though and say it'll be okay because of technology. I, I think we, we just need to kind of focus on what we need um, technology to, to, to hopefully contribute to make life for particularly older people, I think, better for us. Um, but also what we need to do in terms of re reinventing community and so on. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense, right? Obviously, the technology isn't coming to save us and it's a big a, a big if, if, if it'll even get there. So then thinking about what are the possible, I don't even know if you could call it solutions, but possible things that, that we can work towards. So you talked about earlier the the fertility crisis and, and people who were, um, you know, as you said, it like un, unplanned or unwanted childlessness, you know? So is this a, a case of people need to have more children? And if that's the case, is that even possible with the fertility issues? Or is it, as you said, a case more of like the setting up the infrastructure and making it so that this is happening no matter what, but how do we plan for it better? Yeah, it's a great, I mean, truly, I appreciate this question because I, I want to make something clear from my personal point of view is I, you know, I, I'm never going to be someone who will, uh, support the idea that people should have more children than they want to have. You know, it, it, it's not about encouraging, forcing, inducing people to have more children for the sake of more children, not at all. In fact, when I started this, I was kind of expecting to get to a point where we just say, you know, this is the way it is. We don't want so many children anymore. We need to purely prepare for this future. What I discovered along the way is we do have this vast number of people who had wanted to be parents and again, I believe it's 30%, a third of people today in most developed countries are, are falling in that category. Um, and then you, th you think, well, wait a minute, if these are people who wanted to families, uh, t these aren't people who were thinking of zero or one child. They wanted to become parents. And that means they were probably going to have one or more likely actually two or three children. So to redress this balance, um, because that's what needs to happen at some point to just focus on this for a moment. You know, what has to happen almost mathematically, some generation or some future generation ultimately needs to come back to some balance to get back to that replacement level. Otherwise, you know, society, civilizations will, will ultimately fade away. So, you know, you, you, you say, okay, well, what, what needs to happen to enable people to have the children that they want to have? And I don't have the specific answer to that. It's not a single, you know, gotcha. And if you if you watch a documentary, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you kind of a heads up now. There isn't like one single aha moment. Here's the sinker solution. But I will say this. When I have screened a documentary to younger people and I've screened it at colleges, I've screened it to high school kids and even down to, you know, 12-year-old kids. Um, when I see the engagement from younger people thinking about their own future, and then the debate they're having amongst themselves as to what they might want, that's where I see a solution. I, I truly believe that by talking about this problem, by communicating and by educators, you know, ultimately, um, yeah, how can I say, revealing this issue to younger people that there is this crisis. I do feel that... Um, people will 
have children a little bit younger and therefore be able to have the children they want. And I think through that, that society, career paths, etc., will evolve to kind of fit around that better than, than happens today. That's my hope, at least. Yeah, and I, I, I totally am there with you, but it's such a big thing that you're tackling, right? And so it's like, how much of this is economic, right? In the sense that because kids, young people today are struggling more economically, most of you know, I'm 33. Most of the, you know, up until a few years ago, I, I was along with most of my friends still living at home with my parents. And as opposed to a few generations ago, when, you know, we, we know the, the economic differences and things like that. And how much of it is environmental when you talk about things like microplastics and things like that affecting the affecting men's fertility and all this stuff. So where do you even start with something like this, especially with the understanding, as you've said, that this is a multi-decade, multi-generational problem. And we know from looking at something that is maybe more uh, well-known to most people, which is climate change, that the more far out something is to us, the less people tend to care about it. So where do you even start to try to produce this change or, 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 or right this ship? Yeah, I, 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 you know, um, again, I, I appreciate uh, the, the the point because I think where people's minds tend to, to go to, like you just suggested, is that this is a financial problem, that this is about, you know, not being able to afford to have children. And that might be part of it, but there's a couple of counterpoints. First of all, you don't have to go back many decades when we all, you know, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation lived in much more poverty than we do today. And yet they were able to have significantly bigger families. Um, then you, you start to look at differences, for example, you know, in Japan, uh, certain things are expensive. Education is very expensive in Japan. You look at Germany, which went through the same evolution of falling birth rates at effectively the same time. And education is completely free uh, in Germany. So you look for these correlations and, and you, you won't be able to find them by saying, okay, where are the most expensive places in the world? And does that correlate perfectly with this? And, and really it, it, it doesn't uh, in a general sense, perhaps, now, I, so I, I, I don't know. I think it's more down to prioritizations myself. I think society today has told us there's certain things we need. We need our home. Well, that's reasonable. Uh, we need a car, probably. You know, for some of us, we might need not just one, but maybe two vacations a year. You know, we want to change our water. We kind of want to join the country club, the, the, the golf club. And then we might start to think of kids and we try and find a space for having family within the world that we've created for ourselves and perhaps that society's encouraged for us. And then you get to a point, I think, of saying, wait a minute, you know, I've followed the path. I've got to where or close to where I want to be. But actually, you know what? There's no space for our family left within this. Or it's really difficult to find a matching partner who also together with me would have a family at the right time. I think what happened in the past, I think perhaps if there is a solution to this, it's just starting to think about these things in terms of priorities earlier in life. And again, going back to the screenings, I've had an incredible moment in Japan where this young young woman, I believe she was 22 years old, just came up afterwards and saying the movie had changed her life. And um, 
it, 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 you know, I just looked in her eyes and I didn't get to have a deep conversation with her, but I think I knew what I meant that it was about prioritization for her as to what she was going to, you know, the, 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 there's no right time to have a family. It, it, there's never a perfect time. There just isn't. And I think, therefore, being aware of that younger and knowing that, well, is this a priority for you? And that may not be for everybody, of course. But if you're aware that the challenges might be there uh, in terms of fertility, in terms of having a partner at the right time, I think this is the solution. Again, this is a hope. It may not be. We may end up just having to accept that the the civilization that we're part of is one where there will be this birth gap, this 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 you know inverted world, as I call it, where there are just so many people that we have to support through loneliness, through old age, that don't have support networks. But I do have belief that younger people. Uh, who are still creating a career path, a life path for themselves, will in some way help answer this problem. Yeah, I, I think that you know, being proactive and and just simply being educated on this stuff. This is why it's so important. You know what what you're doing and and every, all the work that you're you're putting out there is because you don't know. You know, prior to this conversation, I wouldn't have understood this. And also, it it stands out to me again. That, you know that your specific. Uh, knowledge as again a, you know a, da- a data scientist can look at something like again i would have just brushed this off it's like oh again it's an economic problem but you can look at it and go no actually the numbers don't support that when we actually zoom out and look at everything across the world but you you mentioned their uh loneliness specifically and mm-hmm. that's something that i feel like especially in recent years you know during 2020 during the the, the lockdowns and something like that got a lot of uh press let's say as people started to realize the impact and the the importance of of relationships and how impactful loneliness could be so i'm curious if you could expand on that a little bit and and what you see the effect of loneliness and and how that plays into all of this yeah you know um you know loneliness is very difficult to document um either film or otherwise because i think by definition you know loneliness is something that you know, sees a lot of people spend time in their homes alone and to, to, to try and connect with that. Where uh, in the documentary, in the second part of it, we, we and probably some of the deeper uh, scenes, frankly, you know, we we go and meet some older people in Japan and a community actually that 50 years ago was, uh, we have old footage where it was dominated by young children everywhere. And now it's just older people. And then going to talking to some of those older people about their lives and about their neighbors' lives. And I think that was probably the most moving part of the entire documentary for me when you realize, you know, these are people who, you know, they go to the local store maybe once a week to buy some, you know, groceries. And the only conversations they're having ever is with the person at the checkout. And you know, we talk to the person at the checkout and, um, you know, that they, they talk about the process of, you know, basically people paying for, for, for what they're buying is so slow because these people, they're there for a conversation more, more than anything. And then you hear from these people that, you know, it's only after a few weeks when they notice that people don't, uh, come back and they, you hear that, yeah, that this is someone who passed away on their own. 
and I'll not go too much further than that, but that's a whole other thing about people dying in their homes alone. And, and then we go to Germany and we actually go to, uh, you know, a, a, a crematorium and we, and we find the same thing there, that the number of, you know, basically funerals where no one is there, there's no service because there, there's, there's no family, there's no friends there. And you, you, you hear things like this and you understand that these people's lives are, you know, um, lonely. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious if, if you saw a difference uh, throughout your, through recording or travels or something like that in Western versus Eastern countries when it comes to this. One of my favorite books is called uh, Being Mortal. Um, and it's about how different cultures handle death. And one of the things he talks about is how, you know, aging and the death process in America is very different than how it is in uh, India or, or countries like that, where in America, we tend to, you know, your parents get old, ship them off to an old folks home. And in India, there's a very communal aspect where like you probably live with your parents, your grandparents and your great grandparents. So I'm just curious if you saw any difference culturally like that. I would say I'm, you know, my sense is that we're all on the same path coming from different start starting points. Um, that this idea of, you know, I, I, I suspect in India, you know, they're at a point where there still are larger families. You know, in the birth rate in India, by the way, India is effectively the largest, populous, most populous country in the world. China is marginally ahead, uh, but India is about to overtake it if, if, if it hasn't already. Um, but the birth rate in India is already below replacement level. And we're about to see a humanitarian crisis in India in the next couple of decades of just old people with small families without children left to fend from themselves in poorer countries. So I, I, I truly think the path we're on is the same. And another example I would give you is you know, we went to Nepal and we went to some mountain, you know, some villages in mountain communities. And again, the number of older people on their own and the reason they're on their own um, they had one, two children, but many of them emigrated. And, you know, I think in industrialized countries, certainly in the West, we think, and particularly in the US, we think, well, immigration is part of the solution to this. And it may be, clearly it can be part of the solution, not the whole solution. We're already beyond the point where immigration can really uh, ultimately, uh, you know, balance this. But then you go to somewhere like Nepal and realize where people have emigrated from that. You, you basically have these older people left on their own. The parents are still there. And sure, some money's being sent back, but there's no one to look after them. So I see loneliness as something that is going to emerge globally. Um, maybe I'll, I'll leave you with another comment from you know Brazil, but this is a more general comment, but it was you know a couple of professors uh, in, in Brazil working in this area who you know explained that you know in history, there's no society that effectively got rich after it became an old society. But with countries like Brazil that are, are not quite rich enough to support their older, their, their, their older generations, who the feeling is may never be able to because there's suddenly going to be so many older people to look after before they get to that point of being able to sustain them the way we have luckily uh, up till now at least in in countries like the US so I, I think we're all on the same path 
yeah, I can see how that would be even more problematic for some of these uh, less developed or less financially well-off countries already. And, uh, you know, honestly, <laughs> given given me uh, me personally a lot to think about, and I, I hope I hope that everyone listening um, at least has had their interest peaked to go and check this stuff out more and go check out your documentary and, and be on the lookout for your book and just understand that this is uh, something that we should be paying more attention to. And I want to uh, wrap this up with, this is the same question I asked to all my guests, uh, which this conversation is a little bit different of a topic. So feel free to take this in any direction that you can. But the last question that I ask every guest is simply, if you could leave listeners with one action step that they could start using today, as soon as they take their headphones off, as soon as this episode ends to start living a happier, healthier life, what would that be? Well, I, 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 for me, it's simple. It's talk about this. Um, because people are not talking about this subject. And when I mean talk about it, I don't mean talk about the world's total population. Uh, I, I mean talk about what you want as a person for your future. Or if you're, you know, if you're younger and you don't have a family yet, talk to your friends, your family about, do you want kids? When do you want kids? Or when you want kids? Or if you're a little older, talk to younger people about when they might want kids. This is a subject that I think almost it's it's almost taboo to talk about we just keep it to ourselves there's no kind of you know moment where people just launch into a conversation about what they want for their lives in terms of children but yet what i've seen when you show this documentary to people and you see people talking about this conversations fire up and i think it's um it, it's partly therapeutic just being able i think for the first time to be able to think oh actually, what do I want? What do you want? And to be able to explore this with, with, you, with your friend group, with your family. Um, I, I, nothing more than that, I think, is, is what I would suggest to people because whatever the outcome, I, I think it will help for people to kind of resolve what they want and what their friends and family want more than just keeping it something you know bottled up. 100%. And I, I, I really appreciate that. So I will have uh, a direct link to the your documentary, Birth Gap, Childless World, in the show notes. Anyone listening can go click that right now. But if people want to learn more about you, about this issue, about anything, where can we direct them? Where can people connect with you and, and learn more about what's going on? So um, our website is birthgap.org. Um, we keep it updated with information with, it's actually a community website where people can post comments and questions. And, uh, we, we, we're even creating, you know, birthgap.org groups uh, around the world. So if people want to kind of meet with people in their own communities to discuss these issues, um, you know, that the, the documentary took me that uh, seven years ultimately to create the, the, the next part is going to be the longer part, as long as I've got, which is kind of creating a, a community around communities around the world for people to discuss this and ultimately find out ultimately what the solutions might be. So birthgap.org is where I'd love people to, to go. That's great. And I will include a link for that as well. If anyone wants to go check it out. And I, I really do appreciate your time, Stephen, and the work that you're doing, because this is clearly important. And, you know, if, if not you, you know, who would be uh, at, at the helm here. So I, I truly am appreciative. I'm appreciative of your time for you being here. I just want to say thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. That's all for this week. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show so you don't miss a beat. Support the show by sending this episode to a friend 
or leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Stay happy, stay healthy.